We have already been so richly blessed with everything we have heard this morning. So thank you to all the participants. And uh, here we are now at part three in our series of uh, the gospel at work. And today we talk about the dignity of work. So when you get up, when you got up on Friday morning, maybe some of you said, thank God it's Friday. (laughs) And when you got up this morning, maybe some of you said, Thank you, Lord. Thank God it's Sunday. But how many of you tomorrow morning, when the alarm goes off and you're getting ready to go to work, how many of you are going to say, thank God it's Monday. Thank God it's Monday. There are researchers that that tell us that if we are miserable at our work, we're probably going to be miserable in other parts of our lives as well, because there's a connection in in our life of how we feel about our work and our level of contentment. There was a speaker by the name of John Maxwell. He found out that um, outside of your genetic makeup, uh, job satisfaction is the biggest predictor of how long you are going to live. And for some of us here, that that's kind of scary right now, isn't it? I, I, I think that we're in a culture today that that views work as a necessary evil. Let's get that over with, so we get to the good part of our lives. Or, or then there are times that we might look at some jobs and say, "Well, that's a really dignified job." But then other jobs that we look at and we say, "Well, that's a really low-level job." Uh, um. One philosopher said this, to the Greeks, so this is in the ancient Greek world, to the Greeks, work was a curse and nothing else. And Aristotle said that unemployment, by which he meant the ability to live without having to work, was a primary qualification for a genuinely worthwhile life. The Greeks saw contemplation and just thinking and using your mind. So if you are a, a great thinker, that's something beautiful. But, but active life, productive work, or, or working with your hands, that's, that's just inferior. Pastor Richard has already taken some time over the past few weeks to remind us from the early chapters of Genesis that work is something good. Work is good. God gets his hands dirty and looks at his work and says, it is good. Your work is valuable to the world and your work matters to God. It's not just that there are a few jobs that matter and there are other jobs that that are less important. Your work counts whether you are a baker or a banker, a lawyer or a lawn care specialist a senior staff, or a support staff. Think of Psalm 65, um, where God is at work enriching the land and in causing rain to fall on the ground. So the Spirit of God is at work in this way, causing the rain to fall. God works. And in John 16, we read about the Spirit's work, where he convinces the world of sin and, and God's judgment. Here we see that God's Spirit is both the gardener and preaching the gospel. 
Is one work elite work and, and the other a low-level job? No, both have dignity. All work, all work is dignified. Not only is this true, but in Scripture we see that God also gives dignity to the unemployed. Matthew 20, Jesus tells a parable that has the title, The Parable of the Workers in the Vineyard. We could also give this parable the title, The Parable of the Compassionate Employer. Do you remember this parable? In it, the landowner hires a group of people at the beginning of the day to go to work in the vineyard. But then at different hours of the day, the landowner returns to the marketplace to find more people who are standing around doing nothing. And at each hour of the day, he promises, I will pay you what is just. Off to work. I'll pay you what is just. And even with so little time left in the workday, at the 11th hour, you would think it's just the very end. He doesn't stop looking for those who are ready to work. And he doesn't just pull out his wallet and slip them some money and say, you can go back home because there's no time really left anyway. He says, there is still work for you to do. The landowner asks, why are you standing here? And in the unemployed answer, because no one has hired us and we are still ready to go. Unemployment can be a challenge to our well-being, not just because of a lack of money, but our lack of feeling like we are contributing and, and pouring our energy into our work. I've reflected on this story many times, but I have never seen that story as displaying God's dignity for those who are seeking the next job. Now, I want you to notice also, just as we think uh, about this message, I want you to think about who works and when the work is happening. Genesis 1, who is working? The first person working is not Adam and Eve, but it's God himself. God is creating, separating, forming, giving, blessing. He takes time to look at his work and say, this is a job well done. And then God rests. These rhythms of work and rest continue for us. Genesis 2, then God gives Adam a job. God says, I want you to take care of the garden. I want you to name the animals. Don't you think God could have done those jobs all by himself? Of course he could have. But he calls us, he chooses to have us be co-creators with him. Just as Adam is given the gift of work, it's the same with you and me. And do you realize that work is a gift from God? Ecclesiastes also tells us that. Wherever you are, whatever you work at, you are a co-creator with God. Where God calls you to leave the garden, or to leave the office, or to leave the warehouse, a better place than when you first found it. Let's face it, there are mundane jobs for all of us. Who of you loves washing the dishes? Who of you loves doing the laundry? Who of you loves saying vacuuming and filing and cleaning and dusting and... Come on over, by the way, if you do love it. Um, but... <laughs> you know, there are mundane tasks, aren't there, for all of us to do in our work. And even when you retire from your paid job, there's still work to do. There's still a mission for you. I was a group with a group of retirees in our church who talked about 
their work, remembering that our work is the effort that we give, both paid and unpaid, to make the world a better place. And these seniors talked about volunteering at the open door, doing volunteer work here at MCBC, looking after ailing family members, acting as the glue to hold their extended family together. All of these are important tasks. The Bible hints also at the truth that in the new heavens and in the new earth, there'll be work for us to do. Future work for all of us. In the story that Jesus tells of the ten servants in Luke 19, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The interesting thing about that verse is, and, and the, our, our perspective on work is, that the master rewards the servants not by taking away responsibilities. Oh, I see you've worked really hard. Now just put your feet up. Don't worry, you're never going to have to work again. But it's, I am going to give you more responsibility and more tasks because I trust you with even more. Heaven, too, is a place where God calls you to a job. Heaven's not just a place of boredom where you are nonstop playing a harp, and especially if you never wanted to play a harp, you think, I do not want to go there. But just as in the Garden of Eden, the future day of the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 22 gives an image of God's redeemed people actually serving the living God. Service is actually a reward and taking on those tasks of work so it's not only good in the garden, not only good for us now, but good for our future home. Your work is God's calling for you to love your neighbor. The idea about work in Ephesians 6 turns our cultural views about work upside down. He speaks to those who find themselves in very difficult work situations. And then says in verse 7, work with enthusiasm, as the New Living Translation puts it, or, or in the, the NIV, work wholeheartedly, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. It's revolutionary, isn't it? I'm not just working for a company. I'm working for God. Each one of us say that as we, as we enter into our work. And that simple truth has profound implications. Here are just a few. First, it means that you and I are going to live a more satisfied life when we see the connection between our faith and our work. So it's a good prayer as we come to our workplace and say, Lord, how do you fit in all of this that I am doing right now? There's a famous painting in France. It's called The, the Angelus where a man and a woman are called to prayer by the bells that ring in the church off in the background. Have you seen the painting before? It's The church is very small off in the background, but it's a reminder that all of our work is done in God's presence. God is to be found not just in the church life, but in our work life. Yes, the steeple is in the background, but as they pray, the focus is on the wheelbarrow, the pitchfork, and the basket by which the crops are gathered. All of our work is like an offering unto God. 
And if you were looking more closely then at Ephesians 6 and verse 8, it says that God rewards everyone for the work they do. Each person for the work that they do. It's not just that there is a reward for the elite positions, but that reward comes to each person for the task that they take on. I know that so many of you have developed a habit of praying before mealtimes. Or, um, or you pray perhaps when you're driving in the car coming to church because you're, you're preparing and you're saying, Lord, speak to me. But what about praying as you head into the office? Lord, come breathe your life into my work today. No matter how trivial this task, I offer myself to you. It's really you that I am serving. So that's one implication. But another implication is this, is when I work with enthusiasm, I work with all my heart. My desire is to offer excellent work. So the Psalms give us this image. Psalm 78 says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. And then when we think of our worship leaders, Psalm 33 says to the musicians, sing to him a new song, play skillfully and shout for joy. The, the image and the idea is that we don't just offer a mediocre task, but everything that we do, we say, I want to do this well. I want to offer this task skillfully and give it my best. We serve God when we seek to grow in our competence at our task. And another implication from that idea is when we serve, when we serve it's really that we're working for the Lord. It means that we can see all of our work as a service to the world. Leonard DeCosta writes, imagine that everyone quits working right now. Right now. Everyone in the world quits right now. What happens? Civilized life quickly melts away. Food vanishes from the shelves. Gas dries up at the pumps. Streets are no longer patrolled. Communication and transportation services end. Utilities go dead. Those who survive are soon huddled around campfires, sleeping in caves, clothed in raw animal hides. The difference between a wilderness and culture is simply work. There may be no better way to simply love your neighbor by faithfully carrying out your role in your workplace. Well, when my work is an act of service to the Lord, then I'm able to put work in its proper place. I can put it in the right place and not put it in the wrong place. You know that Martin Luther agonized over the guilt that he experienced as he stood before a holy God. Every religious work that he attempted brought no peace to his fierce and troubled conscience. It was only after he began to reflect on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, that passage that talks about the salvation of everyone who believes that he actually found peace. He wrote 500 years ago, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous live by. That is a gift of God, namely by faith. 
This insight made him rethink his whole understanding of Scripture and also his understanding of work. He concluded that the gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves through our work. You ever know people who try to prove themselves through their work? Try to just show their status, their role, how important they are because they have that task. Luther said, we are freed from having to prove ourselves through our work because in Christ's work, we are already proven and secure. We do not have to prove ourselves through our paycheck. We do not have to prove ourselves through the status of our work. It is not the thing that we ever use to prop up our ego. In God's economy, this is not his priority. It's not what you do that matters the most. It's who you are. It's not what you do that matters the most. It's who you are. Do you know the story of Dave Dravecki? Have you ever heard that name before? In 1988, he was at the peak of his career, a baseball pitcher, playing the game of his childhood dreams. He got the job that he wanted, his dream job. His opening day victory over the Dodgers was overshadowed later that fall by the discovery of cancer and the removal of half of his deltoid muscle in his pitching arm. And after battling the odds and uh, battling cancer in his pitching arm, he came back a year later to defy the odds and pitch once again in the major leagues. Despite being told by his doctors, you will never pitch again. He played again. And then he, as he played, he pitched a 4-3 to three win for the San Francisco Giants that day. But his comeback was really short-lived. Five days later, he threw what was called the pitch that could be heard around the world. His arm had split in two. And as he tumbled to the ground, his mind filled with doubt and fear. Here's what he said. He said, when people talked with me, my arm was the center of my conversation. Hey, Dave, how's the arm today? How's that arm feeling? And that was the constant question that he felt. Is your arm ready for tonight? And Dravecki said, my arm was to me what hands are to a concert pianist, what feet are to a marathon runner. It's what made me valuable. It's what gave me worth in the eyes of the world. Then suddenly, my arm was gone. Dravecki, hard fought, his hard-fought lesson was, it's not what you do that matters the most. It's who you are. And I believe, too, that this is a hard lesson for all of us to learn. That it's not based on the work that we do. It's at the heart. This lesson is at the heart of the gospel. Do you know that you are loved in Christ long before you have done anything impressive? That's the heart of the gospel. You cannot prove yourself 
through your work. Now, when you understand that, then go and work. (laughs) Go and serve the Lord with gladness, delighting in the work that he gives to you, for you know it's a gift from God. Then go and work, freed from having to perform or to worry or to say, oh, what will they think of me? Freed from having to do those things, but just doing it for love. I am working here because I love. I am working here because I am ready to offer some service. Since we have all things in Christ, then we do the work before us to love God and to love our neighbor. I love the way that that Moses concludes Psalm 90. Psalm 90, verse 17 May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. It's interesting that that Moses, as he wrote that prayer, that he's not saying, Lord, establish the work that you have done. I mean, of course, his work is established. But then it's a prayer for the work that we do. Establish the work of of our hands. That word establish is a strategic word. It's used for keeping dynasties or buildings unshaken. And do you know what that verse means? Even though I am like grass, I'm here today, gone tomorrow. What I do in my work matters. The eternal God is ready to give impact to my work and to your work. All of the efforts that we give, both paid and unpaid, to make a world a better place. You see, dignified work lasts. I think there's something deep inside of all of us that we want to make a difference in this world. We want to know that we are fulfilling the reason that we are here. And we yearn to leave the world a better place. I think that's Moses' prayer. God, will you take all of my efforts and use them for something meaningful in your economy? I'm going to invite us to pray, but perhaps this is a good time for us to commit our efforts our work to God and say, Lord, will you guide me in those tasks that you give to me? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this service, this worship service, and we believe that you are here in this place. We thank you that you are ready to speak to us here. Lord, that you're ready to use us in all the efforts that we make in our work. Lord, use us in our tasks so that we might make a difference in this world. But help us to trust you with all of the results. Help us not to worry about having to prove ourselves to other people, but to know that we are proven and secure in your hands because of what you did for us on the cross. So we worship you, Lord, and we thank you now that we may enter into our tasks 
into our work and to say, we've done it all for love. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.